1: You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's Deep Divers at MileHighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody. It is the Huddle Up
3: Podcast, and it's presented as always by Mile High Huddle. It is powered by Overtime Media. And this, as you can see behind me here, Vivid Seats Studio. With me as always, as you can see, my partner in crime, you know him, you love him. As the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com, he is Zach Galberman. Zach, how you doing,
2: my brother? I'm good. It's exciting to do another one of these live pods and interact with Broncos Country some more. We have some great, great questions that I see on YouTube waiting for us. So I'm excited to see what kind of interaction we can have tonight and crank out another great pod. Absolutely. It's going to be a great conversation
3: as we go on here. One minute in, people are joining the room. Blicky, get the stiffy. That's a very interesting <laughs> handle you got there, buddy, on YouTube. Um, welcome, everyone else who's who's joining us now. Welcome. This is going to be the Mile High Mailbag for this week. And our podcast listeners, you're going to get this as a fresh, nice uh, MP3 download, however you usually listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, uh, Spreaker, wherever you listen. It's going to be waiting for you Friday morning. Meanwhile, our YouTube audience is getting it early, Thursday evening. And uh, Jay Roper says the sound quality is great. It's good That's enough. one thing we worked on compared to the last simulcast that we yeah. did. So we'll uh, we'll get to the questions here in just a second. But first, Zach, I wanted to get your thoughts on a quick topic before we dive into some matters of business. And then also, of course, the Mile High mailbag. John Elway and the Denver Broncos received word officially from the NFL My bad, guys. Yep, the refs got that roughing the passer call
2: on Bradley (laughs) Chubb dead wrong. Your thoughts? Uh, at least uh, he got some confirmation, and it doesn't make it better, but it can soothe the wound a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I, everyone knew, Like as soon as it happened, he was literally in the process of hitting the quarterback. It wasn't that he hit him late or with any ex- extraordinary circumstance. It was while he was passing the ball. It was a football play. So the fact that the NFL admitted their mistake, I feel like that's the least they can do, and it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the Broncos' record. And it's not going to change these penalties from, from happening around the NFL uh, You know, from the weeks to come. How much of that, the the
3: impulse that that ref had to throw the flag, Adrian Smith, Adrian Jones, whatever his name was, his rookie uh, official, how much of that impulse do you think had to do with the ticky tack they called on, was it Eddie Gold Goldman yeah. earlier in the game?
2: And just kind of that psychological urge to even the scales. You know that usually happens in the end of the game when the home team's on the receiving end. It's it's odd to see the 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 road team get favored in the fourth quarter. It does happen, and I'm sure for a rookie referee that probably went into his process and his decision making. But there's no rationalizing or justifying the flag or him throwing it. It was a bad call, and it arguably cost the Broncos a win. So, like I said, the NFL for saying that they're sorry, and eh, it's kind of putting lipstick on a pig at this point. <laughs> Indeed, and really, there's there's nothing that can be
3: done about it now. The game's in the books, you know. It was really interesting talking to Bill Huber yesterday, the Packers beat writer that we had on the show. He said that the the Packers are basically viewing the Broncos as a one and one team. I mean, hmm. they should have won that game. That game was, I don't want to quite go so far as to say stolen from them, but the, the they're being viewed as a one and one team who beat a very competitive Chicago Bears team. You know, uh, so to speak. Obviously, in the standings, still zero two. But this Broncos team heading into into week three, Zach. We're going to get to the questions here in just a minute. Heading into week three, though, what do you think the emotional state is of this team? Are they? Do you think in a in a in a mode where they're just chomping at the bit to get back out on that grass, prove themselves, break the ice, get that first win, prove doubters wrong, knowing they're going in, you know, seven and a half point spread, whatever it is. And really try and and remind the NFL that, hey, dude, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new team. There's a new organization, basically. The Vance Joseph era is
2: behind us. Don't sleep on us anymore. We're going to shut down Aaron Rodgers. I would hope that's the mindset. And if anything, that we heard from Vic Fangio this offseason, that's the kind of culture that he's instilled and the attitude he's instilled. But for the first couple of weeks, I haven't seen that killer instinct. I haven't seen that us-against-the-world mentality. I haven't seen it come together. So until they prove me wrong, I'm going to keep thinking that they're this uh, sub-average team who's going to lose in Green Bay to a better opponent who's playing good defense and has a Hall of Fame quarterback. I would hope if the Broncos were any sort of professional – that they would want to come out and score this upset and save their season. They fall to 0-3. They can kiss the playoffs goodbye, as as unlikely as it seems now. They have to win this game. And if they have any sort of guts, any sort of fortitude, they will come out and make a statement on Sunday. At least try to. Play your best ball and put your best foot forward. A reminder to everybody – Listening, watching right now on YouTube, this is
3: something that we're going to be doing twice a week. The gut reaction immediately following each and every game, we're going to simulcast on YouTube. And then the mailbag each and every week, we're going to simulcast on YouTube. And it's always going to be, at least the the mailbag's always going to be Thursday night, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. As far as the gut reaction, that one's always going to be a little bit more fluid because it depends on what time the game starts and what time the game ends. So just always have it in the back of your minds as our YouTube audience that when the game is over, somewhere within that first 30 minutes, you're going to have a gut reaction, Zach and Chad jumping on and dropping some knowledge. But we're going to get to the mailbag here in just a second. I want to remind everybody quickly, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, Super easy to do. Open up the app, find it on your browser, whatever, at huddle up pod. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. YouTube, you guys keep doing what you're doing. It's phenomenal. Just a reminder to those of you who listen but don't subscribe, click that subscribe button. And a reminder also to everybody if you want to get in on the drawing, we're giving away some more swag for the random reviewer on Apple Podcasts. Get your creative review and a five star rating. And if you like what you hear, on apple Podcasts, and then october 1st or the first podcast in october we will announce the winner or winners last last uh last month we did we gave away two so stuff's coming down the pike guys and uh we want you to participate in that
0: this is the overtime podcast network not long ago everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl not anymore
1: Winner. All
3: right, Zach. It is that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High mailbag. We are, of course, Broncos country's football priest. And each and every week, we're here to offer you the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we know we've got a bunch of live questions here waiting for us, but we got to honor the dudes uh, and the people who got their questions in on the community tab early. So let's grab these five questions, Zach, and then we'll jump to the live uh, questions that we're getting here. This one comes from Sin G. He says, what up, guys? My question is this: When do you think Royce Freeman will be the RB one? I love Lindsey; he's a game changer. But I think this system suits Freeman more. He looked good. He should be getting the bulk of the carries. Your thoughts, Zach? I,
2: I said this on the last pod. It does. He does seem to take to this scheme better with Scangarella running more inside runs and kind of power, you know, zone runs inside, and he's performed better. I say pound for pound, he's looked better than Philip Lindsey has. Some of that is game flow. Some of that is being in a new offense. I wouldn't say Freeman's going to be the RB1. I really wouldn't put a title out there for these running backs. It's a true committee approach. It's a timeshare, and they're going to use them as they see fit based on opponent, based on down, based on distance, and based on the quarter of play. Uh, the title doesn't matter. As long as they have two good running backs in that backfield, that's all you can ask for.
3: I'll concur with with uh, the question that, so far, Royce Freeman has seemed to be a more natural fit to what Rich Gangarello is trying to, to run here. But I will say this, we haven't really seen as much zone blocking in this scheme yet as I expected, and as what we saw in training camp, what we saw in the preseason, they've been mostly the Broncos running power-based schemes in terms of the blocking. There are some exceptions, but I think the further along we get into the season and once they get Andy Janovich back, you're going to see much more of a focus on the zone blocking. And this would be a great opponent, by the way, the Green Bay Packers, to employ that, but the problem is that – you got Andy Janovich is back at practice. He's limited on Wednesday. He's limited on Thursday. Everything I'm hearing, though, is he's on ice one more week. It's good to have him back at practice, but he's not going to play against the Packers. So what that tells me is that expect kind of more of the same in terms of the blocking principles, which means Royce Freeman, the, the onus is going to be on him to kind of carry the load between the tackles. Phillip Lindsey, though, you know, he, he's made some splash plays, and especially against the Chicago Bears, he had some splash plays But Garrett Bowles would get a holding penalty and get it called back.
2: Yeah, it's been unfortunate, the timing. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, We talked about this in the last pod. If the Broncos were smart in this game to keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline, to increase their chances of winning and scoring an upset on the road, uh, keep that running game going, kill the clock, move the football, and get into the end zone. So if there's one game to break out the big guns in Freeman and Lindsey, it's this game. Shame that Jano won't play, but they can scheme around that. They can get linebackers isolated one-on-one, and they can use their uh, running backs to uh, mix it up. All right, we'll dance back and forth from
3: the pre-submitted questions to the live questions. This one, of course, Calhoun Cal, 1995 he says, do we trade for a left tackle and or Jalen Ramsey because of Bryce Callahan's availability? And I'll add there, or lack thereof, of course, Bryce Callahan also has returned to practice. He, he returned to practice last week officially. He's still limited. If you listen to the tonality, reading between the lines of what Vic Fangio said this week, He's a toss-up. He's still questionable. I doubt he plays this week. Todd Davis, he's going to be a go, barring some kind of unforeseen setback. He's, a, he's been a full participant two days in a row. Callahan, though, you need him against Aaron Rodgers. That's the bummer. He's very experienced, You know, played four years, twice a year against Aaron Rodgers. I don't see the Denver Broncos moving any kind of mountain to get Jalen Ramsey. I think this is the game, though, Zach, where this is kind of the, the, the last straw or the last opportunity for Garrett Bowles to prove himself if he goes out and face palms costs the team significantly and i'm i'm guessing the message to him right now is look garrett we're behind you we believe in you you're our first round pick and all that you know that's that that all goes without saying but the next game you have more than one penalty on you we got to pull you just so you know fair and square if you don't take this coaching if you don't understand what you're doing wrong and work to fix
2: it and translate that to the field we have to sit you I'm with you on both counts. Uh, This is the the last chance. It's already a make-or-break season, but this is a make-or-break game and a make-or-break season. I don't know that they would get Trent Williams or trade for him, but they would probably pick up someone or at least explore the market because they cannot continue trotting Garrett Bowles out there. And even Elway said, even Emmanuel Sanders said, it's literally single-handedly hurting the team. That's not going to happen. Uh, any longer if he keeps continuing uh, the penalties. Jalen Ramsey, I don't, the Broncos are on a Jalen Ramsey away from competing like they were in a Micah Fitzpatrick away from competing. They've invested enough in this secondary this offseason and they have to live with their investments now. Getting Callahan back will help. Shame if he doesn't play this week at, at full go, but once he gets back to full health, the secondary should look pretty good.
3: I think though that at this stage, you know, the Broncos did free up some money with the Joe Flacco restructure. If Garrett Bowles completely falls flat on his face again and and costs the team another W or contributes significantly to the team uh, losing again, I I think the Broncos are going to be more inclined to explore whatever it might take to uh, get Trent Williams off the Redskins. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I'm saying they're going to be more inclined. I think this is kind of the last opportunity for him. Everyone's been talking to him. Now's the time. Let's see if he can turn the ship around. All right, next question here comes from Clyde Triplett. He says, I was mad at the Broncos for what they did to Tebow. Then NFL kneel heads did not help, but Mr. Man. Oh, man, Clyde, I'm trying the, the syntax and the grammar here. I can't follow you, brother. He I got to skip you. you on this one, okay? Apologies, buddy. Uh, here's one from kissing Fish Fry. Kissing Kissin Fish Fry. I don't know how you pronounce that. What is the bare minimum that Denver needs to do to make a statement this Sunday? Ooh, this is a good question. Even playing great and losing puts them at 0-3. Are they in any kind of position to lose and still catch the attention of other teams? Zach, let me let me start this one off. The, the, the statement Denver needs to make and the, the best way to make it is by winning. And that reminds – because you go in and you beat a Packers team in which you are seven-and-a-half-point dogs in their own house, undefeated. That's a statement, Zach. That in and of itself – and I don't care how you do it. You don't need to – hold Aaron Rodgers to 77 yards passing again like you did back in 2015 and, you know, make him look incompetent. I don't care how you do it. You just got to grind out a win, Zach. That right there is not only a statement to the outside league. It's a statement to the fans. It's a statement to the local media. Look, we're we're still here. We're grinding. This season isn't over. You know, we're still finding our groove and uh, we're
2: back. The biggest statement they can make is winning. Winning cures all in the NFL, and it would put the Broncos right back on the NFL map. It would put the Broncos right back in contention in a still young season. That being said, though, you know, a statement is subjective. To me, if they played really, really, really well and ended up losing, I wouldn't really care so much. If they outdueled Aaron Rodgers or Flacco threw for more yards than Aaron Rodgers, if they're, conversely, if their defense held Aaron Rodgers pointless but still lost, if they just held him to field goals. They can make a statement by going in there and at least going toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers, going toe-to-toe with a potential playoff contender. Winning, biggest statement. A smaller statement, though, out-dueling him or coming very close.
3: Is it a must-win? You hinted at this on our conversation with Bill yesterday. Do you believe this is a must-win? Because, frankly, for me, I think it's on the verge of a snowball effect if they don't stick their finger in the dike, stop the bleeding, stop the flood of losing. If they don't end this six-game losing streak – now, I'm afraid it could snowball like we've seen it in years past under yeah. Vance Joseph, and sometimes even the the best coaches in the world, if a locker room checks out on you you know, and loses that focus, loses that belief, you just never know where that's going to go. You never
2: know what it's going to take to get it back on track. So is this a must win in Lambeau Week 3? If if the Broncos fancy themselves a playoff contender, it is they can't go zero and three and expect to compete. Historically, the their percentage is is extremely low. It's not going to happen. If they think they're legit contenders and they're truly all in on Joe Flacco, even after zero and two, this is a must win game. If they want to have any sort of respectability within the league, they have to win this game and stop the slide. You brought up a great point, Chad. Saw it the last couple years. Losing streaks, no matter who the, the the culprit is, no matter what the circumstances, they sink a team. It takes the whole heart and soul out of a team. And a new coach like Vic Fangio, he's not going anywhere. He's a rookie. He has a honeymoon. But that's not the foot he went to get off on, is already losing the locker room and having turmoil you know, three weeks in.
3: All right, here's one from Jay Roper. Is this team cursed? Why is there a lingering effect of the past coaching staff and just offense being lackluster? The Broncos have this theme of, well, I can't describe it, since the last three, four years. Is this team cursed? No. Mm -hmm. The biggest issue, again, is the messaging from the front office to the fans, to the media, which is John Elway, he would have been wise after the failed Vance Joseph. He would have been wise to do this after Gary Kubiak stepped down. But especially after Vance Joseph, that failed after two years, as he hired Vic Fangio, he would have been wise, even acquiring Joe Flacco the way they did shortly thereafter, L.A. would have been wise to stand up at the podium and say, look, you guys, you know, I hate using this word, as he said before, because it feels like a cop out. But we are having to rebuild the team post Super Bowl 50 with a new coaching staff, a new quarterback where we might not necessarily be starting from square one like a lot of teams have to when they rebuild. But this is a rebuild. I'm saying this because we need to mitigate some of the expectations in the fan base we're not necessarily expecting a Super Bowl berth. We're not necessarily expecting a playoff berth in 2019. And, Zach, if they would have done that, if the Broncos would have, even if that's not obviously the exact verbiage they use presenting this, if they would have got out in front of this and helped the fans understand, you know, mitigate those expectations a little bit, people right now wouldn't be as close to the edge as they are because, as he says here, Jay, is this team cursed? That's the feeling fans have because you've got the mouthpiece of the team, John Elway, in the face of the team, and the all-timer for the Broncos out there basically making it sound like, you know, we're here to compete. We think we're in there with the Chiefs. We're in there with the Chargers and the AFC West. You start 0-2, and all of a sudden, everybody looks ridiculous.
2: I mean, you want to talk about curse. First of all, the Broncos are not. Curse teams don't win titles. I mean, look at the Lions. Look at the Browns. Look at the Jets uh, of recent years. Those are curse teams. The Chargers, who keep losing players left and right. The Broncos have been doomed by bad coaching, bad drafting, bad personnel. But the one common denominator through all of it is John Elway. And you know, it can bring a different coach, you bring a different quarterback, but the team still looks the same. So eventually the finger's going to come back and be pointed at his face. Curse, no, but we have to... At least allow more weeks and more games to play out before we, you know, write off Vic Fangio as another John Elway failure. They're not cursed, but they have been trending in the right direction. You brought up a great point, Chad. If they would have just looked themselves in the mirror and admitted they needed to rebuild, and not try to shoehorn a 34 year old quarterback into a a, a quote unquote playoff contender, it would have saved the the fan base a lot of angst, and it would have made more realistic expectations for this season. As it relates to the
3: offense, though specifically. I'm actually not that worried about it. I'm a little worried about the, the offensive line in terms of the, the tackle position from a depth perspective and what's happening with with Garrett Bowles. But I, I'm actually still pretty confident in Rich Scangarello, and that's with me acknowledging and trying to remind everybody that there's going to be a, a buffering period. It's going to take a little time for him to find his groove, a little bit of a trial by fire as a first-time play caller in the NFL, getting used to Flacco, getting used to his personnel. If they can figure out their red zone woes, if they can figure out how to stay more in the pocket once they cross the fifty and stop stalling at the forty, just outside of field goal range, and once they get to the red zone, find a way to bump those numbers on their efficiency and get some touchdowns, they're golden. I mean, if if they get one more touchdown on on those one of the three attempts they made it into the red zone, they were one for three against the Bears. One of them was that pick that that uh, Flacco threw. If they get convert one of those into a touchdown, the Broncos win that game handily. It's not even, it doesn't come down to the final possession with Mitch Trubisky. So I think they're close, Zach. It still might take another game or two to to iron out the kinks. But, you know, one of the things that's kind of sneaky helping them, people aren't really, it's kind of a low key thing here, is the Raiders might not be the defense talent wise on caliber with the Bears but they came out and played with an energy akin to the Bears. Then you get the Bears, who are one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the league. It's not getting any easier in Week 3, but what I like is the Broncos are already battle-tested as an offense, and I think that's going to help them going into Green Bay and playing a very stingy defense coordinated by Mike Pettin.
2: I don't really like looking at what ifs because, you know, it doesn't really do anything on the scoreboard or translate ever. But I will say that, and we've been saying all offseason, the the pieces are there, the ingredients are there, and the whole recipe might need more time to come together and bake thoroughly. But once it does, it can happen in week three, week seven, week eight, whatever. But once it does, this offense has the potential to be good. If they just stop committing self-inflicting mistakes, stop you know, score points in the red zone, stop settling for field goals, have consistent play calling. You can have a top 15 offense there and combine it with what the defense could be on paper once Shub and Miller get going. That's why, you know, they had sneaky, sneaky dark horse playoff potential, but not like this. They completely have to turn around the whole operation, offense and defense. But if the stars come together, then yeah, you can have an eight, nine win team. But that's a long ways away, in my opinion.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Paid for by America First Legal. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed.
1: During Mattress Firm's sleeping spree event, save up to 50% on ceiling. With queen mattresses starting at $349.99. Only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details.
3: All right, let's grab this question here from Eclipse Stormborn. Got his question in early, and it's uh, kind of taking us on uh, a different tact here. He says, I have a different kind of question today. I recently heard that in honor of the 100th season, the NFL will be inducting 100 players, coaches, owners, et cetera, into the Hall of Fame. If this is true, easy math says that at least three per team. So, for, by the way, I don't, I don't know. I have not heard that, Zach. I don't know about you. But so for fun, which Broncos do you think would get in? And if you had the vote, what three would you see inducted? He says, for me, it would be Steve Atwater, Randy Gratishar, and Jason Elam. Thanks and peace from Philly. For me, the three would probably be Steve Atwater right up there at the top, Gratishar, and I'm throwing in Carl Mecklenburg as well. But just distant, right behind them are the likes of Louis Wright, um, Simon Fletcher, even though, if I'm not mistaken, he's not even in the Ring of Fame yet. Some of these guys are deserving, and there's even a couple other guys from the the '90s Super Bowl squads that, you know, could deserve another look outside of Steve Outwater. Jason Elam, I get what you're saying there, Eclipse, because he he was a, a, such a sustained success and just automatic for the Broncos for so many years. But that would be my three probably: Steve Outwater, Gratishar, and then Mecklenburg. Zach.
2: Yeah, you nailed it. I was going to throw out as a dark horse, maybe Rod Smith. But, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Atwater for sure. Gratishar and Don uh, Mecklenburg, yeah, definitely agree with you.
3: Dude, Rod Smith, undrafted, over 10,000 yards receiving, you know, two-time world champion, multiple Pro Bowl selections. He's a career. He's, he's up there too. So, I don't know. Maybe I would put him in over Mecklenburg. Even though Mecklenburg was on some really good Broncos teams that just couldn't finish in the Super Bowl He played every position for the Broncos in this front seven. Phenomenal player that is continually uh, underrated. All right, let's jump down here. Let's see what else we got here today. Uh, Let's see. Sheldon, what are we going to do if Emmanuel Sanders leaves next year? Well, first of all, start coming to terms with the fact that that's probable, (laughs) not guaranteed. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a concern. You, you, he's basically been the spark plug for Denver through two games, right? He's the only guy to score a touchdown so far for the Broncos in consecutive games. I think what the Broncos will do if Sanders leaves next year and they don't maybe find a way to, to keep him around short term is you're hoping Cortland Sutton really takes a massive leap and becomes a game-changing type of threat. He's threatening – and even Vic Fangio has called him an ascending player, and I agree that he is ascending. He has looked really good in both these first two games, but he needs to take that next step. Where you know you see it with receivers when they turn that corner, the truly elite receivers, Zach, they take over a game. And we saw hints of that in week one. He was great in the second half, Cortland Sutton, but we need to see him just make a statement, plan his flag, take over a game, and then I would feel a lot better about the prospect of Sanders, you know, hitting free agency next year.
2: I kind of lump Sanders and Chris Harris Jr. in the same boat. They're playing one last year in Denver. They're kind of mercenaries helping this team hopefully win more games. And if not, I think they're both gone. Sanders, to me, um, he'll have a, a rebound-ish type season. He'll, he'll look better coming off that Achilles. And I think all he's trying to do is rehab his value. Hit the open market. Hopefully, stay healthy and, and try to cash in there. But yeah, they they drafted Cortland Sutton. They drafted Hamilton. They have some, they have Jawan Winfrey, and they have Noah Fant, who they used a first round pick on, and he's probably going to start coming into his own next year. Hopefully, so that can kind of offset the loss of Sanders. They have a lot of young talent: Freeman, Lindsey. This offense should be fine. Hopefully, a little more stable under quarterback. A little more exciting under quarterback, and you'll you know you'll move forward without Sanders just fine.
3: All right, last pre-submitted question comes from D. Brown. He says, what do you expect from the pass rush on Sunday? Zach, my opinion on this is that the law of averages is a thing, and it's been a freaky, fluky thing that under Vic Fangio, whose defense led the league in sacks last year, I remind everybody that Vaughn and Chubb have been held without a sack in consecutive games. The law of averages is on their side. There's also the emotion and the emphasis, I think, in the coaching staff. That it's kind of embarrassing that you've got these two phenomenal weapons on the edge. And from a schematic perspective, I understand situations have dictated and really neutered what the pass rush has been able to do on third down. But the coaching staff has to be a little bit embarrassed or at least cognizant, Zach, of this. I think there's going to be a bigger emphasis. Aaron Rodgers holds onto the ball a little bit longer. I think the Packers are going to try and duplicate that model we've seen the first two teams do of getting the ball out quick. If Fangio can adjust there, you know he's a guy who likes holding onto the ball. Von Miller traditionally has had really big games against Aaron Rodgers, and I think that I'm of the opinion, Zach, that that continues. I think you're going to see the Broncos
2: break the ice finally. Yeah, I'm with you. I think uh, one or both are going to get sacks this week. It might not be a 3-4 sack game, but I, I, I do agree they're going to get off the schneid. And Vic Fangio, not only I, he has to be aware, and he should be embarrassed. It's a reflection of his coaching that a future Hall of Fame player in Von Miller is now sackless through two games when he was even thriving under Vance Joseph. I'm with you, though. It's just a weird two-game outlier. It's not a, a sign of things to come. It will get back on the, on the stat sheet this weekend, and some of those concerns will start to dissipate. All right, next question
3: here. Let me find one. We got – let's grab JL Avenger. He's always got a good question. Our friend down in Costa Rica. Hi, guys. Greetings from paradise. Can it be that Garrett Bowles can learn from Coach Munchak to tackle well? (laughs) I'm not sure what you mean. Maybe play tackle because that's what he's been doing is tackling well, and that's what's costing him. And who do you think comes from IR this season? Let's do that in reverse, Zach. Knowing who's on IR now, we can't – we don't have a crystal ball Can't you know, see the future who might also end up on IR of who, who we know is
2: on IR now, who do you think comes back? I think Theo Riddick comes back because they haven't used Devontae Booker at all, and he's going to be healthy, and he was going to be an integral part of the offense. And now that uh, reportedly Drew Locke is ahead of schedule or uh, throwing now and is shedding that that hard uh, thumb brace, I think he comes back if, and this is the only condition, something you talked about a lot, Chad, if the, the Broncos are massively struggling in a few weeks with Joe Flacco or they suffer an injury, throw him out there if he's healthy and see what they can do. But I don't think Butt comes back. That's just my personal opinion. They'll leave him there. They'll leave him on nice, uh, and hopefully, he'll get better for next year. So, if I'm among the two, I think it's Lock and Riddick.
3: Yeah, I don't disagree. And you know, the whole thing with Mike Munchak and Garrett Bowles. I mean, obviously, the Broncos brought in Mike Munchak because they liked him as a candidate for head coach, and he was going to be the guy until they met with uh, Vic Fangio, and he completely changed the game for Elway. But one of the things that attracted Elway to Mike Munchak as a head coaching candidate was his track record with offensive lines. And it's just been such a thorn in the side of the Broncos for so many years, and especially the recent investment in the first round in Garrett Bowles that was very attractive to Elway. And they just really got lucky, excuse me, that even after hiring Fangio, they were able to keep Munchak in Denver, thanks to, of course, his grandkids being in town and Mama Munchak wanting to – or I should say Grandma Munchak wanting to come to Denver and be close to the grandbaby. So that being said, though, that whole thing was – yeah, it's about the offensive line, maximizing the offensive line, developing the young talent they have, but it's also very much about salvaging Garrett Bowles. Zach, if Mike Munchak can't reach Garrett Bowles, nobody can, okay? okay. It can't be done. It, and, and so up to this point, all we can go off of is what we've seen, and so far it just looks like another case of Zach, the best predictor of, of future behavior being past behavior. I think he's on his last legs. I think he's on his last hurrah, Garrett Bowles. If he screws up, I almost cursed. Like <laughs> again this week, I think you're going to see the Broncos. If if Vic Fangio wants to maintain credibility in that in that locker room with the players, I mean, he's preaching accountability, he's preaching death by inches, he's preaching um, discipline, assignment, technique, all these things, and yet they prop up Garrett Bowles and keep him in position when all these other players are knowing. They they think to themselves and they talk to each other and they go, "Look, if this was me, if if I was out there." doing this what Bowles is doing, you know they'd be benching my ass. And eventually it rots from within. And Fangio's been in the NFL, guys. This isn't Vance Joseph. Fangio has been in the league long enough to know how that works, okay, which way the wind blows. It's only a matter of time. Up to this point, the reason he wasn't benched and why he hasn't been benched officially, two factors. One, he's got to placate his boss a little bit, Vic Fangio, and that is John Elway. Two, I think, Zach, honestly – Jawan James, if he's healthy and he's playing last week against the Bears, after that, let's say, the third holding penalty he got and at the bottom of the second quarter, I think at the very least, you would have seen Munchak pull Bowles off the field and put Eli Wilkinson in there and and roll, even if it's just for a couple series.
2: And We, we talk about Munchak, and I'm guilty of this too, all offseason, we talk about Munchak like he's this guy, like this prophecy. I mean, he's a great Hall of Fame coach, great Hall of Fame player, but unless he can give Garrett Bowles a new brain, I don't see how he can help him I, that he's just not cut out to be a tackle, at least with the Broncos, at least in this in this scheme, with this quarterback, with these players. He's just not cutting it. Uh, supposedly, Vic Fangio said that Mike Munchak talked to Garrett Bowles and gave him a good talking to and hopefully straightened him out. I don't know if that's going to do it. I mean, he's had how many coaches now he's had, how many opportunities? And he still doesn't even believe he has a reputation for holding in the NFL. I mean, how can you even get through to some guy like that? It's it's a mental issue, an immaturity issue, an attitude issue, and sometimes you just can't reach those guys. As good a coach you have, you can have twenty Hall of Fame coaches, but if he doesn't cut it, he doesn't cut it, and that's it's just the way it is. I honestly, when he stands up there, you know we've
3: heard Fangio say it, we heard Elway say it in his Elway Access. He needs to. We heard Sanders say it. He needs to understand that he's doing it wrong. I don't think he has. He can understand no. it, Zach, and he doesn't I mean, see it. I, I don't say that to clown him. Okay, it's really a sad situation. I don't think between those ears of his, he recognizes where he's going wrong okay. and thus what it takes to fix it. Something is getting lost in translation. It's beyond his comprehension, and I think the Broncos they have to come to terms with that quick and you know figure out another solution. Can it be any worse than Garrett Bowles? <laughs> I'm not sure that it can, Zach. I. Jake, Jake, Jake Rogers, you know, he's never played an NFL snap in terms of the regular season. But if you if you moved while Jawan James is, is sidelined, if you move Eli over to the left side, you put Jake Rogers at right tackle, you slide your help that way and hope for the best, I think, Zach, you're honestly giving yourself a better chance to win than risking each and every drive,
2: each and every explosive play being derailed by more Bulls laundry. Unless you bring back the ghost of Menelik Watson, you're not going to get worse than Garrett Bowles to tackle. You literally can't play worse than having five holding penalties. And in training camp, he was self-sacking Joe Flacco. Your left tackle is sacking your quarterback. He cannot look worse. And then the relief that floods over his face when he's not called for a penalty, and then he gets up there and just as defiant. And like you said, Chad, the lack of social awareness. I'm not a psychologist, but it just seems like he doesn't have any social cues. It's lost on him. And if he had a little more intuition...
0: Uh, maybe he wouldn't be in the situation. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They push girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.
1: With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet.
3: All right, this one comes from Juice. Minimizing expectations to this fan base is damn near an impossibility. Definitely not worried about Elway. We've still done better than most organizations have for decades. Here's the thing, Juice, when 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 you say you're not worried about Elway, I get what you're saying. I mean, he he's he's very accomplished as a GM. My concern continues to be this win now delusion, okay? Yeah. It's one thing to put your chips in once the the team hits the field in September. Look, guys, we're here to win games, and we're going to fight our asses off, do everything we can to win games now, but at the same time, you're making roster decisions that are, yeah, you want to win now, but are also reckoning and hedging against and for the future. For example, Drew Locke, he's throwing next week again. He's he's going to begin throwing next week. John Elway put him on IR. He could possibly be available next week. If if this was a normal game, let's pretend he was the starter. okay? And Joe Flacco never even came to Denver. He was the guy. He could be potentially, we don't know this for sure, but he could be in a position where he could be contributing next week. If something were to happen to Flacco next week or this week, you're missing out on the opportunity to have Drew Glock available because you're thinking, oh, I need to win now, and I need that roster spot, so I'm going to put him on IR. Maybe we'll bring him back meanwhile he's just he's losing the opportunity to improve because he can't practice if you're on IR you can't even go out on the field and go through walkthrough or mental reps So this type of mentality though that's the biggest thing Zach is that if Elway would just I think be more uh, I like the way you presented it earlier more honest with himself look in the mirror realize yes it's a, the NFL is about winning winning now is important but so is winning. From now on, which always used that verbiage before, and it's come off very cliche, and we all know it's cliche. He's more focused on the now, he's sacrificing the future. If he could somehow flip that paradigm, it would be it would make a world of difference to this team.
2: It wouldn't. He's caught in that purgatory. The Broncos have no identity because of John Elway. Or they have a new coaching staff, and usually you don't bring in a 34-year-old quarterback and then declare him your franchise guy when you have a new coaching staff. This is the time they should have rebuilt. It was a perfect opportunity. Failed with Vance Joseph. You knew Elway was going to have more time with his next head coach. You You drafted Drew Locke. You have a young quarterback. Go through the ups and downs. I mean, look at the Browns. I hate to use them because they haven't looked great. But if you rebuild the right way, if you take your time and you're honest with yourself and you look yourself in the mirror... It could serve you well in the future, and Elway just does not want to see the future, and he just wants to keep kicking the can down the road for the short term. And that, ultimately, if they don't keep winning or start winning, is going to be the demise of John Elway down the road. He has to set up for the future, and all he's done for the past three, four years, set up for 2016, 17, 18, 19. It's never for 2020 and beyond. If he would have done that, like you said, Chad, I, I don't think the Broncos fans would have taken this 0-2 start so badly.
3: All right, here's one from G 303 Do you think our defense will finish in the top 10? Now, obviously, as we know, we don't necessarily need to go through the statistics right now, Zach. They're not a top 10 defense uh, statistically through two weeks, okay? But by the time this thing's all said and done, do you see this defense finishing in the top 10 statistically?
2: Uh that's so hard to tell after the first couple of weeks with the way they looked. Top ten in, in total yards, I can definitely see it with the secondary they have and once those pieces come back together they can clamp down against the pass. And when Todd Davis comes back, it should help him against the run. But it's, it's one of those things where I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, I was preaching this Fangio defense all offseason. I gave them all these expectations, 20 sacks apiece and this and that, and they're kind of proving me wrong right now. They have the potential, and I think in certain areas, they will finish the season top 10, and certain areas they won't. It's going to be a lot of give and take this season.
3: All right, guys, I want you to look at this. The Denver Broncos, as you can see here, and by the way, can you guys see that? Let me know if you can. I can. But I'm sh- Okay, so if you can see it, they can see it. This show this is the release that we get sent to us each and every week by the Denver Broncos PR department you can see here the green means NFL top 10 red means NFL bottom 10 now let's scroll on down here to the defense okay the Denver Broncos they're all they they're ranked in the top 10 right now in three categories and one of them is a complete outlier that means nothing the first is in in net yards given up per game they're they're literally ranked 10th they're given up 315 yards per game that's pretty stingy Okay, in in today's NFL, if you're only allowing 315 yards per game total, that's good. I mean, and especially for a team that's lost their first two games, that speaks to a a defense that is, while it's still figuring itself out, can still produce. The other one here you see is as a passing defense, they're ranked fourth. So you think to yourself, golly, man, we see all these lapses in coverage, the end of that game, that 25 yard completion on fourth and 15, where there was clearly a coverage breakdown. On the defensive right, so I think it was Yadam, Jackson, and Will Parks, they had some kind of a communication breakdown that led to Allen Robinson streaking wide open in the middle of the field. But still, Zach, this team is ranked fourth in the NFL. They're giving up less than 200 yards passing per game. And then this third one here, fumble recoveries, big deal. They haven't recovered any yet. It doesn't matter. So conversely, though, Zach, you look over on this other side. This is the Packers. Look at all the green. Okay, now again, it's only two two weeks so you can't make any uh, you know, jump to any conclusions here, but they're at least on the right track. This is what we want to see from the Broncos by the time they reach mid uh, mid-season. If they're if they're green in the majority of the categories here, they're on to something. I think it's encouraging to answer the question we originally got that triggered this diatribe from yours truly. I think it's possible, but let's let's not get out over our skis that the Broncos are going to finish top 10 in defense this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, they have all the pieces, and you know, even the last couple of years, they were top ten in certain areas, run defense, and and before the last couple of years, pass defense, they can be. And like you just pointed out, you did a great job illustrating that in some areas they will finish top ten, in some areas they won't finish top ten. With a new scheme and all these new in, all these injuries and new players, it's going to take probably half the season for it to come together. But once those wheels start clicking and things start firing on all cylinders, they're going to be pretty stout.
3: Here's one from Kathleen. I hate to tell you, Zach and Chad, but not one neurosurgeon has developed a new type of surgery to remove a person's old brain and replace the old one with the new brain. Of course, speaking to uh, the issue yes, with uh, Garrett Bowles. Bowles is SOL. Let's see what Eclipse says here. He goes, if we have a losing season this year, I might believe in a curse, only because we've had losing seasons since the stadium hasn't been had a sponsor. Just saying. Well, now they do, though. They do have a sponsor. So, I don't know. I'm I'm not quite... You know, here's the thing. When we do the gut reaction podcast, we it's literally a gut reaction. We're still writing the emotion, even as analysts. Analysts get emotional. Media get emotional. We're still writing the emotion of that uh, the, the previous game. And so the next podcast after that, the next day, the Tuesday pod usually, and then later throughout the week, you're going to get a little bit more measured and considered responses from us. I was, I think, a little bit more shrill in how I sounded after – uh, week two in the gut reaction than I actually feel today. I'm not as – now, look, I'm not saying don't worry about it. I'm not saying, you know, everything's going to be fine. But I am feeling a lot more comfortable with the idea that this Broncos team, you know, don't give up on them yet. They they still th- – th- we're two weeks in. This is a veteran team in many aspects, including at the quarterback position. Let's see what they do in Green Bay. Now, if you go into Green Bay and you start 0-3 – Maybe it's a conversation in terms of really starting to talk about the implications and all that, but I'm actually feeling a lot more confident about the team heading into week three. This is one of those where they're being written off. I've had two conversations now with different green Bay outlets on podcasts, one of which you guys heard yesterday. And the overall feeling I'm getting from everybody is they're they're sleeping on the Broncos, even though Bill Huber, he, you know, he's like, look, you can't sleep on the Broncos. They view them as a one-on-one team. And I already covered that ground. But when you're resting your starters on a Wednesday before a game because you're worried about Thursday night of the next week, that tells me you're kind of sleeping on and taking the next opponent for granted, Zach.
2: Yeah, this is definitely one of those, you know, Bill kind of shot me down with the whole trap game thing. I understand it's a little too early in the season to talk about that, but it it really could be a game where the Packers overlook the Broncos An 0-2 team, kind of in uh, disarray of some sort, coming off a hard victory. They're at home. It's an early afternoon game, which plays into their hands. But you're right. I don't think it's, it's, you know, code red. I don't think it's DEFCON 5 with the Broncos right now. I don't think it's that bad. They're not the Miami Dolphins. They have talent on both sides of the ball. They have good coaches on paper. When that comes together, you're going to see a better product on the field. Just continue having patience. This was never going to be an overnight thing, a one-week thing, two-month thing. It's going to take some time. Holy Diver says our defense is bad because our scheme is bad. A
3: total letdown. Here's the thing. I understand why you're let down. You have every right to be let down, especially after all the noise even Zach and I made about Vic Fangio and the defensive wizard and, you know, the Godfather and all this stuff. And his proof has always been in the pudding and all the defensive places he's been. You know, it doesn't necessarily always happen overnight, but he even said himself that come to Denver, this is this is the most talent are the best or highest level of talent he's had starting out uh in, a, in an nfl stop as a as a play caller and yet you see him start out zero and two and you see the defense struggle to get a sack even hit the quarterback in week one no takeaways you are perfectly and well within your rights to uh, be extremely disappointed but one thing you got to keep in mind is Fangio is adjusting as well still calling he he'll You know, if you listen to him at the podium, he says, look, calling plays from the sideline, it's not a thing. Stop talking about it. It's not a problem. I've already adjusted. But, Zach, Ed Donatel, the actual defensive coordinator, he doesn't call plays on Sunday. But we kind of expected him to be up in the box and be the eye in the sky for Fangio as he's calling plays. He hasn't, though. He's actually been on the sideline both games. I still think that has a little something to do with Fangio not yet quite finding his groove, being a little bit slower than he usually is to make adjustments in game and just some of the struggles. Another aspect is this is a team sport and a defense is going to be affected by an offense failing to score an offense going in and off the field quickly and allowing first and second down production to be so good from the opponent that you're consistently putting yourself in third and shorts Fangio has talked a lot about just these weird twists of fate, these odd situations that have been thrown at the Broncos through two weeks. They He views them as outliers. He's nowhere ready to, you know, scream and say, we got a problem here. He sees them as outliers. And because of his track record, I understand the Broncos track record recently is bad. I get that. But Fangio's track record is not. And because of that, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for a while
2: yet, Zach. It's way too premature to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's still two weeks, and to say this scheme is bad—that's typical fan speak. Same thing reminded me of a couple years ago. They started out zero and two and zero the Broncos under Vance Joseph. They blew out the Cowboys, and everyone was riding that wave. And they're this great team now. And never get too high, never get too low. And as analysts, Chad, that's what we pride ourselves on being. That's why we have this pod hopefully gives a little rational justification to Broncos country. The scheme isn't bad. They're tinkering with it. They're finding out what works and getting rid of what doesn't. It's going to take longer than two weeks. But once it comes together, we set it into are blue in the face, or red in my case. Once it comes together, it's going to look pretty good.
3: All right. I think that's Miss Christie from Twitter. She says, with everyone healthy, bowls not being bowls, Flacco on point, with the new coach scheme system, do you think they can make a run, or is the coaching – two green, and will Vaughn and Chubb get a sack this week? I do, Christy. I, I still think it's within the realm of possible, maybe not the realm of probable, because we know statistically and through odds what it means when a team starts 0-2 in terms of the playoffs. Very rarely does that team end up making the playoffs. It happens. It has happened many times in the NFL, but the odds aren't on the Broncos' side. Is it still possible? I do think it's possible. It's not highly probable, but don't give up on this team quite yet, and yes to answer. My my take is I think Zach and I are on a, on the same page here. I think Vaughn and Chubb, one of them breaks the ice this week and gets a sack.
2: Yeah, it, Christy, like you said, if if everyone's healthy, if Bowles stops committing penalties, they have just, if they play clean, good football, they can win a lot of games this season. They can make a run in the playoffs. It's just all about subjective and all about what your expectations are for Denver. If you think Flackman can be the one to get him back to the playoffs, I personally have reservations. But if everything comes together, they start scoring touchdowns, this is not a team you have to give up on after week two. No team, except for maybe the Dolphins, to do throw in the towel after two weeks. And I think, yeah, Chubb or Vaughn, probably both. I see one sack apiece for Vaughn and Chubb this week.
3: All right, before we get out of here, we're kind of running long. What's your prediction? Well, we're going to publish the Mile High Roundtable at com on Friday, but what's your prediction? What do you see unfolding in week three for this team?
2: You know, I'm, I think I'm 0-2 to this point, and I, okay. I usually I I usually go with my brain. I'm going to go with my heart on this one. I think the Broncos come into Green Bay, play really good defense, and, uh, really, really stifling defense, I mean really good defense, and they do enough on offense, score enough points, three touchdowns, and they sneak one out, they get out of the Lambo with a victory. I do think they upset the Packers, and they get back on the right track. It won't be an easy victory, a blowout victory. It probably will come down to the fourth quarter. Three-point game, I think the Broncos do pull it out.
3: Yesterday, I had my doubts. Yesterday, I was thinking, mm, odds aren't on their side. But just like – and I'm 0-2 too for what it's worth. In fact, I think – no, there's a couple guys on the round table that picked against the Broncos last week. So now not everyone's 0-2, but we've all been surprised at this. You, you guys aren't alone. We're, we've all been surprised at this 0-2 start. Bottom line, though, both of us were 0-2 on this. We are – Going to ride shotgun together once again. I'm picking the Broncos to win. This is going to be my final pick. It's going to stay the same on the round table. Broncos are going to win this game. I think they're going to surprise some people. I think you're going to see the offense break out a little bit. And even though this is a stingy Packers team, I'm telling you, this team, they're kind of sleeping on the Broncos. Meanwhile, it's building up for the Broncos. They are sick of the noise. They're ready to silence some critics. The law of averages is on their side. I'm picking the Broncos to win this one. It's going to be another
2: relatively low-scoring game.
3: 2017 Broncos, it's going to come down to the final possession. I think the Broncos do enough upset.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. It's going to be something like that. 23-20, 17-14, 3-point, 4-point game. Um, save their season. And you know, sometimes when a team is 2-0 and playing really good football, they take the other team for granted, and there's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. And the Broncos are critically wounded right now, backed into a corner, and I think this is the week they strike back. All right, guys, you heard it here first.
3: That's going to do it, though, for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast, another Mile High Mailbag in the books. Thanks for all our YouTube viewers and listeners riding with us. It's been great. Zach and I really enjoy doing these. It's so much fun. So we're going to continue to do them. We'll be back live again on YouTube on Sunday, immediately following the game. So stay tuned for that. And then also on Saturday, here's what's coming for you on the podcast. You're going to have the Scouts Eye preview from Building the Broncos and then Dove Valley Deep Divers will have a fresh episode for you as well to wake up to on Sunday. Probably even publish that one on Saturday later in the day at some point just so that there's some room for that to breathe, for you guys to get it under your belt in time for the game. Big thanks to everybody, but uh, stay positive. That's, that's our message to you. We're, uh, we think the Broncos can turn it around, but this is where they got to make the statement, and I think at this point both of us feel like it's going to happen. It might not be pretty, but they're going to get it done. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday. Thanks again for joining us on YouTube Live.
1: Please. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation
0: going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born or boy a girl.